I try to look at the big picture. I I know what's happening now. I know what happened 10 years ago. We talked about this many times. We first talk, talked about Tesla and it was just like, you're you're out of your mind. This is never gonna happen, you know? And of course if it happened, you know? So where are we gonna be another 10 years? We're gonna have solar powered electric cars and it, electric cars are gonna get a 500 mile range. And they're um, gonna drive for you. Maybe not in 10 years, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, so, I don't know. Elon Musk keeps saying it's going to drive for me like next yeah, week. He says a lot of stuff. <laughs> and no, I mean, listen, I, what he's done is absolutely amazing. I can't take, you can't take away from what he's, he's accomplished. Um, but yeah, I think at least from an investment standpoint, it's really important for people to separate maybe their own political or philosophical ideology from what's actually happening. Hey there, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. I'm here today with Jeff Siegel, Managing Editor of Greenship Stocks. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, sir. So what's going on, Jeff? You're down from New York into sunny Baltimore. It's very nice out today. You know, like that. It is nice weather out today. So I don't know if you – did you see Brian's uh, visit on the – or um, the ESG thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sure you got some things to say of course. about ESG. And it's funny because you're actually, you're my go-to ESG guy um, to get information about this sort of stuff. Right. When that Biden law passed, I was like, what What does this mean? And you were pretty much like, hey, it's, they ha- they can, but no one's being forced to do right. it, at least not yet. Right. That's come up a lot. So I've talked about this in the past um one of the, I think, objections to this is, well, maybe they're just laying the groundwork for what's to come. I mean, it's a possible. I mean, that's possible with anything. Um, I don't think that's that's monopolized by ESG. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, the problem, I think the problem with ESG is what we define as ESG as just regular people. Like we're not, we don't run an ESG fund or we're not fiduciaries that look at ESG risk, risk factors. Um, so it's very easy for someone to say, you know, they see the word environmental or social and they immediately think wokeism, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the fundamentals of ESG really have nothing to do with that. So when I was watching the one you did with Brian and they were talking, you guys were talking about the Bud Light thing. Yeah. So to me, that's not ESG, okay? No, I yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I I think it's if you want, I don't really like using the word term wokeism either because again, I I don't think anyone can really f- fairly identify what that is. And it's changed. It's become very you know polarizing. Absolutely, yeah, uh, which is unfortunate um, because I think it by, by polarizing, I mean by becoming polarizing, it just it makes it harder for us to come to an agreement on anything. Um, and again, that's true with anything. But the Bud Light thing, I remember seeing that my first, when I first saw that, I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why would you do that? You know? Right. And so, and then, so the immediate response from the media was like, oh, they're trying to be woke. It seems to me that someone worked there was trying to do that. They were trying to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to put this, this, uh, this person on the on the can, and and we're gonna somehow, I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. I mean, it was just a really horrible idea, um, but but I, I hate seeing that getting equated with ES, ESG. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's so. Yeah, like, is anybody in charge of ESG? Like, who who invented this thing? 
So ESG. BlackRock. No. So ESG came around. I mean, it's been around for a long time. Um, I, even when I first got into the space, it's probably 2006 when I really started investigating the idea of ethical investing. And ESG was a thing then. Um, but it was pre- predominantly just like an idea. It was like it is now anyway, voluntary. Um, but it wasn't – it was so under the radar. But it, it seems like people are feeling – pressure to have these score you know a certain level of scores because of xyz like where is that pressure coming from yeah that's a good question i i i don't know because i don't believe that there that there are enough people out there that are saying we demand esg i don't yeah, most people don't even second. know what the hell it is yeah and most people don't care you know i mean I know plenty of people that say, I want to invest in, a, in an ethical investment fund. Well, if you look at most of them, they still have oil companies in there. They still have chemical companies. So it's just, um, to answer your question, who's a, I, no one's in charge. You know, there really isn't. There's an idea. There's, a, there's an idea of what the structure is. Um, but in coming up with ESG scores, it's, it's, so, it's so relative. So the, the S&P has their own ESG index, which is... Again, I mean, they have Exxon, I think, is like the top of that list. Um, I almost think it's kind of like in the mind of of whoever's talking about it. I mean, to go back again to the idea of ESG, it's just it's just a framework for people to follow. Um, there well, the, are, and the question, but the question is why? Like, why does there need to be a framework? So that's a really good question. So when it first started, it was geared towards ethical investors, socially responsible investors. It was, I don't think it was ever meant to go beyond that. And then what happened was, in, in my opinion, uh, Wall Street co-opted that. They say, here's an opportunity for us to make some money. <clears throat> and I'm not mad. I mean, I mean, I get it. You know, it's, yes, it is an opportunity because you can go out to go to people that say, yes, I only want to invest in renewable energy companies or um, <clears throat> companies that are making the world a better place. That's fine. I mean, there, there's money to be made in that. Um, and then it kind of took on a life of its own where you had some of these people who co-opted it, co-opted it but kind of bastardized what it was supposed to be. And then the media came in and, and, and I guess politics, politics came into play and they'd say, well, this is a great way for us to like stake our claim. Yeah. You know, so like, you know, Democrats and, and, and those on the left would say, you know, uh, ESG is important. We need to monitor all this stuff for, for our investments. And then the right would say, oh, this is just wokeism. Neither side is right. Okay. I mean, it's, um, I know, I, I, again, I keep kind of <laughs> going off the topic here, but where to come from, I guess, is your question. Why, how did we get to this place? Again, I think it started out as a voluntary thing that was, it was uh, designed for a small group of people. Then it took on a life of its own. I think, again, I think Wall Street co-opted it. And then politicians co-opted it and now nobody knows what the hell it is you know and i can tell you i always look at just the the basic framework of it again environmental social governance three things that you should look at as a fiduciary if you're if you are analyzing risk factors that's all it should be in my opinion i really wish the esg label never existed i wish that fiduciaries just called it Risk factor number 17 or, you know what I mean? Right. That's a, yeah, exactly. I see what you're saying. But you can see how, you know, Brian and a lot of people think is like, okay, there's this, why did they even need to pass a law that was like, hey, you're allowed to, like, it just seems right. like that goes against 
you know, if it's voluntary, then it just the free market will work it out and yeah. they will just add that. And, and many have, you know what I mean? It's the same way like, hey, I don't know. Do I want to buy a house, um, you know, in Florida because it might on, on the coast and it might get hit by a hurricane, not necessarily because of climate change or whatever, but just like hurricanes hit Florida. They have for hundreds of years. Right. That's a risk factor. But now there's like they're like forcing people or at least nudging them towards that. So you can see how the next step could mm-hmm. be, you know, these big, you know, Wall Street guys co-opting it, being like, hey, we're going to lob- lobby Congress now to be like, hey, like Brian said, 5% of your retirement portfolio has to be in ESG. Right. You know, 10% has to be in these socially responsible companies that right. some, you know, some organization deems you know, based on all these scoring factors. And like you said, it doesn't even really matter anymore because Exxon is, you know, higher than Tesla and, and all this kind of right. BS. I don't know how, I think that would be very difficult to pull off because then you have to involve the SEC in coming up with uh, new rules. And again, this is all relative. So let's say that there needs to be a certain ESG score. Well, what do you base it on? I mean, there's so there's literally thousands of ways you could look at that. Um, I just don't think there's an appetite for it in this country. I don't think there's an appetite for it in Congress. Um, and I, quite frankly, the only reason Biden did it was to, you know, cater to his base. That's right. it. I mean, there, like, there's no teeth. It meant nothing. It I, literally meant nothing. Check this box. Let's move on. I can, when I run for re-election, I can kind of say that I exactly. that I care about the environment. Um, and Biden's good at that. Like it's, a, he'll, it's it's em- it's an empty gesture, you know. Just like with with legalization and and decriminalization, he said, "Oh, we're we're going to let all these federal prisoners go for uh, cannabis charges or whatever it was." And right? It was wasn't like, it like wasn't it like ten people or something? I think it's up to like thirty now. <laughs> it's like, and it's such. And here's the thing: it's an empty gesture because the president does have the ability either through himself or through his advisors to um, move to a path towards decriminalization. He can't come out and say, okay, it's done, but he has the power to make it happen um, through his, through his advisors, through his, um, through his cabinet. He's not done that. So it's really funny to me when I see people say, oh, Biden's, you know, he gets it and he wants to end on the war on drugs. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He's done nothing. You know, the, when I think it was even maybe like a month ago when it, when they said um, the total number of people that have been released. I don't think it was there. It was like 312 or something. Jason, there are like tens of thousands of people in jail right now for minor drug offenses. And they're still going to be in jail while he's in office and when he's out of office. So it's like typical politician, empty gestures. And I think he really made the case worse because as soon as he did that, it was like a perfect opportunity for the right to attack them. Yeah, to be like you're, you know, to to say exactly what you're saying, like, hey, this is just a just a fake political move. Right. And then meanwhile, I see this thing with um, DeSantis saying we're going to outlaw ESG. So okay, how do you do that? Are you going to go to a, a fund and say you cannot consider extreme weather events in your analyses? Well, that's like you're you're basically crippling that person's ability to. Uh, yeah, the outlawing, I think it's it's just one of those things where you say like, hey, look, at the end of the day, a fiduciary, it, like, it has to have the person's best interest in exactly. mind. And so like to me, that's, you know, returns, right? right. You, Absolutely. you have to look at returns. If you think that some of these environmental factors are risk factors, then you can take those into account, like you said. But right. calling it ESG is... is uh, is basically like calling it woke, but it may, but 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 it 
begs the question, what is going to happen now? So if there is, let's say there's a, um, an, an, uh, an analyst that works for a fund and says, okay, I'm, I'm looking at this insurance company that we may invest in. Um, I don't know how the new law works. So is he not allowed to look at climate change risk factors? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. If he's not, then do you just say, okay, well, let's just call it weather events, you know, extreme weather events, extreme weather events, or um, even like social, uh, where we talk about um, you're looking at a company that has a history of sexual harassment. Well, you're, that, that company could be in line for a major lawsuit. Well, why would you want to invest in a company that has that risk? Yeah, I mean, to me, like you said, like people are already doing that. Yeah. Like already. You don't need to have this scoring system. Right. Like, you know, like if a company has lawsuit liability, like that's already that you should be taking in right. that into an account. But does it change now in Florida is my question. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just I'm kind of putting it out there. Yeah. So, again, if a, a fiduciary says, OK, I'm looking at this company that has a history of sexual harassment. Is there like a power under is there someone that works for DeSantis says, no, you can't you can't do that because that's ESG. That's woke. Yeah, I don't see that happening, but just as someone would say, are they laying the groundwork for you know forcing us to do SG? Mm-hmm. I look at the the other side of that. I say, are they laying the groundwork for um, fiduciaries to essentially be incompetent? Yeah, well, I it's funny because I I tend to not think there's a grand conspiracy or anything, yeah. but people take advantage of the situation is of always course. what happens, right? So it's just like, hey, every step of the way, how can we make money around this how can we get around which i mean that's capitalism you can say it's like gone too far or whatever but it's just people take advantage of the situation they're you know they're not able to uh corral this huge conspiracy around it but people are behind the scenes you know being like okay yeah i see what's going on here let's position ourselves here you know like the black rocks of the world and like hey you know forcing corporate boards to do xyz and hey get on board if you're not so uh, if you look at blackrock though like whatever they decide that's not the government like it's their it's their decision and for the government to they have power that's fine but the government comes in and says well you can't do this anymore that goes against the the underlying idea of of free markets you know they they and that's what i talked about with biden who who are you to tell us that it's now okay for us to consider this. You never had a say in that to begin with. Yeah. You know, anytime someone starts a sentence off with "should the government," I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I mean, that brings up a good point because I think it was last night, Trump, you know, did his CNN thing and he's mm-hmm. talking about drill, baby drill. There's definitely been this uh, move by the administration under Biden to sort of tamper down the oil. I think it seems like maybe they're loosening it because oil prices shot back up Mm -hmm. like where does the government come into play in terms of um stoking the renewable energy at this point is it time for renewable energy to stand on its own you know what i mean is Uh, it it does it need i i posted a chart actually in the discord and uh I sent it to Keith, actually, because basically it was a chart of government subsidies. Mm -hmm. And wind power, I think, is the most government subsidies on a total. Then solar. You know, nuclear and oil and gas are, like, way down. But then they actually flipped it and they measured it on a per kilowatt basis. Mm -hmm. And I think wind actually came way down because 
I guess it's utilizing its subsidies better than it would solar. So like solar's at the main, like where are we at, particularly solar power? Well, okay, so to back up in terms of where should the government be involved, my answer is always going to be it shouldn't be. Um, and that's for anything, whether it's renewables or coal or nuclear. Nuclear today doesn't it could not exist without subsidies. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's been that way since it started. Um, those subsidies have never gone away, and it's still cost prohibitive. Now, there are really interesting technologies that are coming up in the nuclear space that um, I know Keith has talked about. Yeah, I saw the, the like mini nuclear, mini nuclear reactor. Yeah. That's reactors, fascinating. Yeah. And what's really cool about that is it's much cheaper to use. It's much safer to use. So that that, that accomplishes a huge issue. Um, I think the future of nuclear is strong if we utilize new technologies. The old nuclear power plants, like they're going to have to be retired at some point. To build a nuclear pow- a new nuclear power plant based on old technology makes no sense from a safety perspective and from an environment uh, from an economic perspective. Um, in terms of the way we subsidize things, it, it's it's such a slippery slope because there's so many ways things are subsidized, either directly or indirectly. And I, I one thing I always look at when I talk about indirect subsidies is look at the renewable fuel standard, which started under the Bush administration continued under Obama, continued under Trump, and is continuing under Biden. And basically, we've spent billions of dollars, taxpayer dollars, to grow corn to turn into ethanol to put in our tanks. It is one of the greatest corporate or one of the greatest government welfare scams of all all time. Because the Republicans love it because their states get it. The, the, the Democrats get it because they think it's environmentally friendly. It's not. You know, if you really dive into it, it's, it's, you're no better off using ethanol than you are using regular gasoline. Um, so you have – that's an indirect subsidy. It's like the, the government is mandating that we use ethanol. So we have to pay for it. Um, that's different than a than a direct subsidy where they say, okay, we're going to give X amount of dollars to like a production tax credit or something like that. Um, but everything has always been subsidized, you know, gas, oil, um, coal, nuclear, all this stuff has always been subsidized. So I don't think it's right to call out the renewable energy industry as saying, okay, well, you guys are getting more subsidies. Well, the renewable energy industry, the amount of subsidies they've received over, let's say, the last 50 years – um, probably pales in comparison to all the subsidies that have gone into coal well, and nuclear years. Yeah. In addition to the indirect subsidies, in addition to the um, uh, the way we subsidize our land, the way we subsidize our natural capital. I mean, you can't. You have an oil spill. That's the damage that's done to the to the fishing lanes. The damage that's done to the to the. Um, uh, the tourist areas that, that have been affected by oil spills, all, that kind of stuff is never figured in the equation. It's still subsidized by the taxpayer, but you never read about that. So I, I, I don't think it's fair to criticize the renewable energy industry for getting subsidies. But, I, but moreover, I think the solution to this is to not subsidize anything right. and let the free market do what it does. Because I firmly believe if there were no subsidies, we would have it would primarily be nuclear it would be the new nuclear technology it would be uh solar wind geothermal um smart technology for like transmission uh storage natural gas would run its course because it's so heavily subsidized people don't want to talk about that either coal's done you know so i think we would have a, a proper transition um but there's so many embedded interests. So you're never, as much as I can sit here and spout off, we should have no subsidies. It's never going to stop. 
It's just not. So solar power in particular, what's been the movement on the technology front from that side of things? Because, I mean, solar power has been around for, what, since the 70s, right? Or oh, before or, that, yeah. yeah. So are, are we, is there going to be a moment for solar where it reaches, there's always this, like, grid parity idea. Mm-hmm. Like, is that ever going to happen? Or is it just, you know, is it just slowly inching up and getting better and better, smaller and smaller? Well, it's getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, to produce these things um, on a levelized energy cost analysis, uh, solar and wind are actually cheaper because the amount of money that costs to build it, um, you get a certain amount of power that comes from that. And so when you, it's, again, it's called a levelized cost. So it, solar and wind will always come ahead. Um, but the problem is it's still more expensive up front. You know, if you want to build a big solar park, wind park, that those prices are coming down rapidly. So from a utility scale perspective, you're going to continue to see more wind farms, more solar farms. Uh, I, uh, being pragmatic about this, it makes more sense to have distributed solar, solar in people's homes, on their roofs, on warehouses, buildings. But the utility companies don't yeah. make money that way, so it's never going to happen. So the idea that we should pursue that is great in theory, but in reality, it's never going to happen. Um, in terms of t- solar technology, it hasn't really, it hasn't come much further since, let's say, 10 years ago, except for the um, the production of, of the cells and the panels, which has come down, like I said, quite, quite a bit. Um, moving forward, there's some really fascinating um, solar cell technologies that are more durable than we had previously. And these are the ones that right. we're going to start seeing on cars. You know, yeah. they'll be integrated in, into into vehicles, um, which is a huge deal because we've seen some companies now um, that are developing cars that have the solar cells integrated into the body of the vehicle that are going to give you another 40 or 50 miles of charge just by sitting outside all day. Yeah, that's a big deal because I had this conversation with my father, actually, because he recently drove a Tesla. Not He, he borrowed it from somebody and he was like talking about and basically the big hang up which i'm sure you know is range right right? like not not knowing exactly if you're going to be close to a charging station and i want to go xyz it's just like there's this lack of freedom that is not there when you have a you know a gas power it's like oh there's a gas station around every corner um Obviously, you know, if you're out sort of in the middle of nowhere, you still got to like, oh, like, oh, my God, 20 miles to the gas station. I got to make it right. there. But the biggest hang up I've seen just from people that aren't really interested in the technology is the range bit. Mm-hmm. So where are we at with the range? Because I, I've been teetering with getting a car, an uh, electric car. And, you know, I told you earlier, my um, Ram truck is a diesel and it gets 600 miles per tank, right. uh, 29 miles per hour. Per, ga- per gallon with the eco diesel. So, are we close to there? Is solar on a car gonna like put it over the top, or how, how close are we to like being able to? I know the projections are nuts for everybody right. wants an electric car, but it's still pretty. It, it, you know, gas powered still rules. Yeah. So, just looking at the data, and I think I mentioned this before. I always look at Bloomberg data because it it's always the it seems to be the most sound. Um, if you look at historically speaking, Bloomberg's pretty much on point, um, and they're showing twenty by twenty thirty, fifty percent of all new car sales will be electric. So I'm I'm basing in my projections on that. So by twenty thirty, the standard 
range, all electric range, is going to be about 300 miles, which is not a lot when you consider, um, you know, like you said, you have a 600 mile. Range yeah, and that's yours. on the high end, but like a regular car, it's gonna I get mean, you about 450. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it's one of the things. I, it's, it's and it takes you five minutes to fill up at a at a right, gas station. Right. So there's still this. We're still um, transitioning. Um, and that's what I try to explain to people that are are curious about where the where the space is going. Um, we know that seventy percent of all daily commuters drive, uh, I believe, no more than forty miles per day. So for most people, an electric vehicle is fine. You're not gonna you're not gonna be in a situation where you're gonna run out of charge if you fit into that category. Um, but the question does arise, what do you do if you're taking a longer trip? You take your road trip somewhere. Well, and you're assuming also that people have, like, chargers installed in their house. Like, right. you know, people that live in apartments or, you know, condos, town, you know, they don't have a garage. Right. Or they, it's upfront, you know, I don't know, it's like $1,500, $2,000 to get a charger, like a legit charger, like, put in your house. and then. Yep. All that kind of stuff. So yeah, that yeah. So there's definitely some cities that are. So New York is trying to put this thing through where they're going to put up, uh, char- like charging stations along the the curbs. Are you serious? Yeah. Who so, has to pay for them? So I think what's going to happen is the utility companies are going to pay for them because they'll make money off of them. Uh, but I mean, yeah, you still got to pay for you got to you got to pay like, for your electricity. It's like a, yeah. It's like a um, parking meter kind of thing. Yeah, if I mean, if just like you would charge, you got to pay for your gas. You would have to pay for electricity. You're gonna park? Can you park? You have to have an electric car to park there. I think so. I hate I hate seeing the the parking lots and the electric car. Although around here, there's they're usually full. Yeah, there's usually an electric car like yeah. getting in there. But like, yeah, I, I mean, it's I don't. I mean, I obviously because I like EVs, I don't I don't mind it that, yeah. that they're there. Um, but yeah, it, there's still there's still obstacles across. I mean, there's I, I told you about New York. I think um, California is doing something like that too. Of course, New York and California. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, actually, um, yeah, it's it's mostly those. I think I think maybe. Hopefully, they won't go bankrupt before they yeah. before they pay for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how that could be. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a uh, is an issue for sure. There are. Um, there are apartment complexes that are now actively putting charging stations because they have become kind of like a like a um, an add-on. Yeah. So when people as more people get electric cars, I'm just wondering though because they're saying oh, 50 percent of new like how is it like right now you go there's a charge like couple of charging stations, but like relative to the number of cars yeah. that are in there, it's like. It, it, there's no way it's a couple. So like if right. 50% of the cars are there, like you're going to have like every time you have a parking spot, you're going to have a charging thing in well, there. It's not 50. So 50% of all new car sales will be so, all new car sales. Yeah. yeah but so I mean, you're, you're saying, I mean, everyone's saying like, Hey, everything's going to be electric in 15, yeah. 20 years or whatever. Like, no, not I just years. don't like, I just don't see how the truck, like, you know what I mean? It's, I'm, listen, it's a great investment opportunity right there, you know, because charging are, stations. Absolutely. Yeah. And just the infrastructure itself. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, Norway had this problem, too. So Norway heavily subsidizes their EV industry. Um, in fact, by 2025, they're going to supposed to be completely off internal combustion, heavily, heavily subsidized. It would never work here. And one of the problems they had early on was not having enough charging yeah. stations. But they fixed that. Um, 
that's one of the reasons I'm interested in the integrated solar into the stuff, right? Because A, you don't have to pay for that. Right. And you, you know what I mean? If you're in a garage, I guess you're not going to be able to. But if you're just out regular park, so it's one way to sort of alleviate some of that demand of having to try, you know, you don't even have to plug in. Right. You know, you can do it while you're driving. That's going to be pretty sweet. Huge advantage. So a friend of mine has a Ford F-150 electric. And so he charges his at, the ha- at, at his house. Um, he's a firefighter. And then when he goes to work, there's a charging station mm-hmm. there and he plugs in there while he's at work. So he's, he never has to worry about um, not having a charge. And he lives in an area where he can have a, a charger. Have you rode in that F-150? Oh, yeah. It's really It's nice. nice. It's yeah, so I nice. saw him. It's so I saw nice. they have an uh, electric Ram out, too. So the Ram is coming out. I, I heard there's some problems with the Ram right now, but it's also supposed to have, like, six, they're offering 600-mile range, um, which I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, hey, that's what I get with my diesel Ram, so. Yeah, but the problem with electric cars is they say it's a 600-mile range. It's probably not. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, under the most perfect conditions that don't exist. Right. Um, so you kind of have to take that into consideration. Um, but I forgot where I was going with this. But, yeah, so with this – having – Solar integrated into the vehicle makes a huge difference, especially, again, if we're talking about a, if you get 50-mile range on a – because you have solar and you only drive 40 miles a day, you're never going to have to plug in. You're never going to have to fuel pay to fuel your car, which is a huge game changer. Yeah. You know, we talk about – talking that. about cities and places. I mean, what a great opportunity. Um, I think it's going to be a combination of those things. Yeah, and I think we can kind of – agree to that they're still going to be truck they're they're working on these consumer level trucks but all of the industrial stuff like those are going to be the last they might you know you even see a lot of those using natural gas and stuff Mm -hmm. these days so um there's a lot of options out there i Um, think those options are going to are going to kind of disintegrate though soon because we're so as it becomes cheaper and cheaper to build the batteries and make electric vehicles um natural gas powered vehicles i they're not going to be able to compete they just won't. I mean, not right now, um, but give it maybe, I don't know, another 10 years. It's just, it's not going to just, if you run a fleet, why would you spend money on natural gas, which is never, it's, it's constantly fluctuating where you can lock in to your electric rates or you have solar power mm-hmm. on your, in your fleet. And then you power from that. So some um, school bus fleets are doing now. Yeah. So I, I try to, I try to look at the big picture. I, I know what's happening now. I know what happened 10 years ago. We talked about this many times. We first talk, talked about Tesla, and it was just like, you're, you're out of your mind. This is never going to happen, you know, and of course if it happened. You know, so where are we going to be another 10 years? We're going to have solar-powered electric cars, and it, electric cars are going to get a 500-mile range. And they're um, going to drive for you. Maybe not in 10 years, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, so, I don't know. Elon Musk keeps saying it's going to drive for me like next yeah, week. He says a lot of stuff. <laughs> and no, I mean, listen, I, what he's done is absolutely amazing. I can't take, you can't take away from what he's, he's accomplished. Um, but yeah, I think at least from an investment standpoint, it's really important for people to separate maybe their own political or philosophical ideology from what's actually happening. Um, I know there are plenty of people that are like, I don't like electric cars because maybe it's they, they have this idea that it's something for tree huggers or, you know. It's, it's it's pretty pervasive. I mean, I was down, you know, you go down south and they do not like electric cars down there. Right. They just do not. Um, that's why I said, like, I think it's going to take it's going to take something that's like it's a no brainer. Right. For it to do it. So the range has to be two to three times you know more than you would get in your gas and not have to you know people 
people don't like change and they also right. don't like inconvenience. Right. So once right. the convenience over and the cost overrides, then it's like, you're, hey, you're a dumbass for buying this gas powered. But think about the convenience. That's a really good point. It's so convenient to plug your car in at night and wake up in the morning with a full tank. You never have to go to the gas station ever. And the amount of times you're going to have to go to a public charge station. I kind of like going limited. to the gas station. Do you really? Yeah. I get myself a, a, <laughs> a five hour energy, get a drink, you know what I mean? Like, and then I come out and my, and, and, but if it was, you know, one tenth the cost, then I could forego that. Right. For sure. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think we, we do put too much pressure on the idea of that we have to have, you know, this charging stations everywhere. Um, the way we have gas stations. Yeah, people can't get out of like, hey, it's got to be just like, get, you know, I have to go into a station, fill it up quickly. Right. Yeah. And so if you get like a thousand mile range, mm-hmm. then it's really not a big deal to charge it every overnight and, right. you know, or find it's easier to make it to the next charging station if you have that much. Um, so last topic I want to hit before we uh, finish up is you're a big lab-grown meat guy. Mm-hmm. So I, someone just posted this about a study that came out that said lab-grown meat uh, is can be worse for the environment. You saw that. <laughs> yeah. So what you do, I didn't read it. I'm just a headline uh, thing here. But basically, I, I'm wondering what the – and look – not that I don't care about the environment, but at the end of the day, I think we agree. It's like, hey, if this is cheaper, then it may win out. You know what I mean? Right. And especially if you can do like these customized – like I really want to eat some tiger meat or <laughs> – I shouldn't say tiger. You know, like – but not have to kill a tiger. You know what I right. mean? Or like right. like a dinosaur meat, like a woolly mammoth steak. Oh, like, I would I, never do that. Yeah, I want to try it. Like, I really? just want to, yeah, I want to try it. Like, I, if it's good, it's good. But, like, there's these ideas that, like, hey, you can kind of produce this meat that is, mm-hmm. like, very, like, it, it's more healthy and you get more all the nutrients and all that kind of stuff. And if you're into the, so, so the lab, like, the lab grown meat stuff, like, is that you think it's going to be a big thing? Not mm-hmm. next year, but over no. the next 15, 30 years or right. so, like that. So, is it, is there an environmental <clears throat> component to that? Because of like people like PETA that don't want to kill animals and all that kind of stuff, or is it more just keeping up with the food demands of like population growth and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff? It's it's that and it's it's economics. Yes, I mean people that don't want to kill animals, this is great for them. Um, particularly people that maybe went vegan but missed meat, you know. And I mean there are people that are like that, you know. Um, and they try to eat the plant based burgers, and it's just not. Come on, it does it doesn't taste the same. Um, it's economics. That's what it boils down to. Uh, and the, a really good way to look at this is when I go to events, um, cultured meat events, it's, it's not – like I think people think it's going to be mostly just scientists and vegans. And there are scientists and vegans, but there are reps from Tyson, from ADM. Yeah. You know, they, they don't – they would much rather produce meat in a warehouse than have to run a concentrated animal feed lot. Because it costs so much money to do that. And the, 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 um, th- there's a, a large risk factor involved there, too. When you're producing beef, okay, well, you have to provide the feed for the beef. Well, if you have a drought 
or extreme weather conditions, that's going to affect the price of feed. So that affects the price of the meat production. Then you have a, a, a drought or heat wave too. It kill it could kill off the yeah. The I mean, chicken wings. I love chicken wings. <laughs> chicken wings have gone up like double yeah. in the past like two like it. It's up there. So, yeah, I get that. And you hear about, like, the mad cow disease and, like, hey, this disease, like, for mm-hmm. some reason, you know, eggs are get, have gotten, like, crazy expensive. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can lab lab grow eggs. You think we yeah. Could lab- you can? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can lab grow in anything. You can lab grow in pretty much anything. Because all you're doing – that's an interesting thing. And it's it really took me a while to wrap my head around this. It's the same cell structure. So, basically, instead of growing meat, like beef and a cow, you're just – Growing it in a bioreactor. A cow is a bioreactor. It's just that we made this bioreactor and God made the cow, you know, but it's much, using the bioreactor is much more efficient. And as the costs go down. Is there any ethical, like, people, like, concerns about that that think, like, hey, like, because it doesn't have a brain, like, but it's still, like you said, it's still, like, there's still a feedstock that is coming from a live. So right You're now. essentially, like, cloning, so right? So right now, it's a, the only thing that keeps it from being completely vegan is that it uses what's called a growth, um, a bovine growth serum, which comes from the cat, a calf. Um, so vegans probably have so issues you, with that? Well, yeah, because it, you, you're taking something from an animal. Okay. But there are companies that are pr- producing a synthetic version of that. And that that is that's the that is happening. That's going to happen. So at some point, you're not going to take the growth serum from calves anymore. It will all be done synthetically. Um, once that happens, it's completely vegan. There's no animals involved. But le- I except think for the cell. I mean, you can have like the stem cell, which but you don't. You're not going to. You're never going to please vegans, Jeff. I you're don't care. Gonna, <laughs> it, I think that's where there's a um, a resistance to this, kind of like the solar energy th- or the the electric vehicle thing because mm-hmm. it's kind of like okay like all this shit stuff because we just want to placate vegans because they don't want to kill animals yeah. and like so and that's you know or you know the big thing was um hey you know you know cows do more emissions than you know this plant like right. you want to get rid of cows and then vegans are like yeah we want to get rid of cows right. too like and it's like you can't there's no winning here no well it's funny because I, I actually love vegan food and I would say most of my diet is I eat meat, but most of my diet is I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and grains. It's just my diet. That's what I prefer. Um, but the funny thing, and I don't, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody's, you know. Uh, no, go ahead. Do it. <laughs> the thing of it is I have a lot of friends who are vegan and I respect their decisions. But when you eat a plant, there are millions of microbes in the soil that die when you harvest that crop, but you can't see them. They're still living beings. So there's no way you could ever live and eat without killing something. It's just that you can't see the microbes. You can see the cow. Yeah, those don't count. Yeah. So um, anyway, I wanted to, but to talk about the economics of it, I, I, I'd like to explain like the trajectory of how I see this playing out. Cause I think this is exactly what's going to happen. So right now, we're still in the earliest phase. It's very expensive to produce this meat. Significantly in, more inexpensive than it was 10 years ago. Massive drop in production costs. When it reaches that point where it is becomes cheaper to produce meat in a lab, that's when the first, the first thing that's going to happen, all the fast food companies are going to come in. Now, McDonald's, let's say McDonald's hamburger, most of it's filler. There's not a lot of beef in it as far as I know. Or just any kind of – and I'm, I'm not criticizing. It's just it yeah. is what it is. But any kind of fast food restaurant that uses any kind of meat, 
let's say um, Kentucky Fried Chicken spends X amount of dollars on chicken nuggets. Let's say, you know, every year they spend, I'm just throwing a number because I have no idea, like a, a billion dollars a year on, on chicken for to make their chicken nuggets. Well, I, there's a, a company now that can produce the same exact chicken to their specifications um, and do it for half the price. The, the improvement in margins that you'll see because of this cheaper lab-grown meat is, is a huge, huge deal. It's not just that it's cheaper to produce, but there's no more risk factors. Again, they're not going to get a call from the chicken producer and saying, hey, we lost a bunch of chickens because of the drought. That's not going to happen. But anymore. are people going to socially resist that? Like, I ain't going to KFC. They got that lab. Mm. They got that lab-grown stuff. I think there might be a little resistance, but if you go to, to fast food to eat, you don't really care about what you're eating. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's all chemicals is what you're eating. So, and honestly, the way you can produce that meat, it can actually be, be produced in a healthier way. So say that the chicken nuggets are now produced with more pro. They can make it with more protein or less fat. Uh, or less, I mean, how, I mean, it's designer meat The KFC can say, I want three different versions of this chicken nugget and they can get it. So the future, I'm sure you saw the robots running fast food restaurants now and the mm -hmm. kiosks. So the future is, uh, a fast food restaurant run by robots mm -hmm. producing lab grown meat right. that's cheaper, tastes better and is healthier. Yes. Sign me up. See what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's about time to wrap it up here. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, always an interesting conversation. I would encourage people to join our Discord. We'll, we'll put the link at the bottom in the description to join the Discord. You can, If you join the Discord, you'll get these little like articles that the editors pass around. You can talk to Jeff, post in there, and all the other editors. They'll... Um, be chiming in on what's happening in the markets and all that kind of stuff. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you.